It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being, except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace 
and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you today. Um, if I met you before, I'm Will. I've privileged of being rector here, and uh, it's wonderful to meet you. If you're new, you're visiting, we'd love to get to know you better. But today I want to talk to you about how to live a consistently faithful life. How to live a consistently faithful life. There was a social study experiment done a couple of years ago where they gathered 10 people who had 20-20 vision, not me, And they said to them, we're going to test your eyesight. And so what they did is they separated into two groups. They had a group of nine and a group, and then one by themselves. And to the nine, they said, we're going to show an experiment. We're going to see three big squares. Three squares can appear on on the screen. A big one, a medium-sized one, and a small one. You nine, to test your eyesight, when you see the big square, we're going to put your hand up. Simple instruction. And then to the individual who's by themselves, they said, when you see the middle-sized square, we want you to put your hand up. Really easy. And so the tests start, and um, they see these three squares, and the instructor points to the big square. And so nine people put their hands up, and then points to the middle. One person puts their hands up. All fine. But what was interesting is what happened next. As they repeated the experiment again and again, they found that 75% of the time, that individual who knew they were meant to go for the middle square changed their minds and went with the big square. Despite knowing it was wrong, over time, over pressure and peer pressure, 
And just a simple raising of a hand enabled them to switch what they knew to go with the crowd. And for us, peer pressure might affect us in different ways. We might not follow the crowd by a simple raising our hand to a square, but it will affect our finances. It will affect what we do in relationships. It will affect what we do in spending our time. And it definitely will affect how we live our lives as people who follow Jesus. But the Bible calls us as followers of Jesus to be different. We've seen throughout Daniel that we are exiles here in a world that doesn't love or submit to God. But living faithfully is really tough, isn't it? Let alone living consistently faithful lives. Surely that's impossible. Well, today we're going to look in this story and we're going to see through three characters, three lenses, through Daniel, through King Darius, and then God himself, how we can learn to live consistently faithful lives, no matter the lines that we face today. So firstly, if you've got your Bibles, keep them open. We're going to be digging into Daniel 6. We're going to be in and out. I want you to see that it comes from there, not from me. Firstly, there's a call to be like Daniel and cultivate a dependency on God. Be like Daniel, cultivate a dependency on God. Look with me at verse three to five. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to send over him the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel here, this faithful servant, and the first 10 verses, it talks about his integrity and how people can't find a fault in him. You know, no grounds against him because he's trustworthy. Daniel is someone who hasn't just arrived on the scene here. Daniel here is in his 80s. But Daniel was plucked as a teenager out of, out of Judah, placed into the king's house, forced to live in a certain way. And over 80 years, he has shown this integrity. And we're going to see how. But he's shown and he's worked with different kings and in different empires. He's worked with King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar. And in the last chapter in Daniel 5, it talks about the fall of the Babylonian empire, which seems so powerful, yet the Medo-Persians take over. And so he's done two empires, two kings, now he's his third king. And yet he's still known for his integrity and his skill so much so that King Darius wants to promote him to look after the whole kingdom, in a sense, to be prime minister. You know, Daniel hasn't bunkered down, withdrawn from the world. He's remembered God's call to a prophet in Jeremiah, writing to what it is to look like to live in exile. Seek the prosperity of a city to which I've called you into exile. Pray to the Lord, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Daniel didn't just survive, he thrived in this place of pressure. He had integrity and skill. There's no dodgy tax return, no shady business deal, no suspect tweet, no overclaimed expense. Daniel has lived with integrity at work, 
But how? In our passage, it tells us two different ways. He has done that. Firstly, it's because of his identity. And secondly, he's got a life of prayer. If you were here last week, you'd have heard Sophie speak. If you missed it, do catch up. I'm biased, but she was great. Um, But Sophie mentioned how um, when the Bible repeats things, it's important. And you'll see in these verses, there's a repetition going on. In verse 5, it's of Daniel, of his God. Verse 10, giving thanks to his God. Verse 11, asking God. Verse 12, may your God. 20, your God. 22, my God. 23, in his God. Daniel's identity, despite having 80 years in a foreign land with pressure for him to conform, hasn't swayed from his identity being in God. His identity is of God and in God for God. And so these leaders are trying to find corruption. They haven't found it in the way he's lived at work. And so they're like, ah, we've got a plan, a cunning plan. We're going to put at odds his walk with God against his integrity at work. That's how we're going to trip him up. And Daniel, who has served faithfully these kings, but above them, he's always served God faithfully, is met with this crux. How do I live now when the world is pushing this away? There was a poster um, which would meet you. It was more than a poster. It was a massive sign which would meet you in Bombay Airport, now Mumbai. If you were to fly in and arrive in the arrival lounge, and it said, whether Hindu, Muslim, or Christian, we are Indian first and last. As a nation, they were saying our identity is in us as Indian and anything else is secondary. Now, as Christians, we have a loyalty to the state we live in. We have to serve them, and Daniel has shown that. But I'm British after that. You're Nigerian after that. But so often we get mixed up and we build the wrong part of ourselves and a different part of identity. So often we confuse who we are with what we do, don't we? We describe ourselves when we introduce ourselves. Oh, I do this, or this is me. And we present of what we do. We find our value in our productivity or how we are to other people. We have these primary and secondary identifiers. And I remember growing up and um, wanting to be you know, a sportsman who was a Christian. I wanted to then be a um, medic, I was training for medicine, who was a Christian. Because I was like, yeah, no, that's quite cool. I'm a medic. That's how I introduced myself. But yeah, I'm a Christian. And then it'd be like, I want to be an entrepreneur or work in business. And I'm a Christian. But what I found was that actually my, my identity, I was building in things that fell away. And as a medic, entrepreneur, sportsman, which all failed for me, I know that any identity which isn't built on our primary identity, that of in God, will fall away. Oswald Chambers wrote, Jesus is saying that the greatest concern of life is to be placed, is to place our relationship with God first and everything else second. I'm a follower of Jesus first and last. I'm a Christian who's a husband. I'm a Christian who's a father. I'm a Christian who pastors this church. My identity isn't in what I do, but in who I am in God. And what's interesting, the more I spend time in my identity with God, the better husband I'll be, the better father I'll be, the better 
hopefully pastor I'll be. Thank you. (laughs) But for you and me who follow Jesus, our identity is in who we are. We can learn that from Daniel, not in what we do. So that when we face this pressure like Daniel is faced, where there is a difference between do we conform and elevate our platform? You know, Daniel's been considered to be prime minister. What would you do for that? Do you sacrifice things? Or do you put God first? Well, there's no question because our identity is in God. And Daniel's been able to do that because he's cultivated a life of dependency and he's seen that in his prayer life. Do you see that Daniel is a man of prayer? We've seen that week in, week out. He started cultivating it when he was young. I love the youth in our church. I love that we've got a special heart for them. And we long that they would cultivate a dependence on God from an early age. There's no junior Holy Spirit. And we long that they understand that and grow in that. But look with me at verse 10. This is Daniel who's heard this decree. So now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I wonder, how do you deal with a crisis? How do you deal with a boss who's made a decision that has dramatically affected you? When a diagnosis comes that you weren't expecting. Daniel has done what he has done before. Daniel goes home and prays. For him, prayer isn't just birthed out of crisis. It's been birthed out of his identity and a rhythm that he finds his identity in. So he goes home, upper room, privately praying. Windows open. And he's praying towards Jerusalem. And the understanding why he's praying to Jerusalem is, um, goes back to 1 Kings 8, where King Solomon, who's built the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, he says that basically if the nation is turned away from God, what they need to do is to go and face the place where God was to dwell, which is in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And there he's to, to pray. And if they pray, God would hear their prayers and forgive their sins. For you and I, um, we don't need to pray to a particular place. Why? Because God dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. And we don't cry out for the restoration of Jerusalem, or we do pray for that region. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. But you see, Daniel has this prayer, this rhythm, which is slightly opposed to our culture, isn't it? For us, busyness is a constant condition. We're too busy for that person. We're too busy to spend time. We're too busy to invest in that, to spend time dwelling in that place because my identity is in what I do and actually I've got to give more time to that and productivity. But our busyness is actually leading us to astray and our busyness actually is opposed to what we spend our time on. We've cultivated habits that are unhelpful. It's interesting, the millennial spends, according to a study in 2023, over three hours a day on their mobile phone. Half of UK adults spend four hours watching TV. Yet during the average working week, parents will only read to their children for 32 minutes in seven days. 
They'll play with their children for 43 minutes. They'll have 36 minutes at a dinner table with their family for over those days. And they'll have 32 minutes in conversation. Yet we say those relationships matter most. I wonder how, do we, how much time do we spend with God? If we can give Instagram a couple hours a day, how about the Lord who created us and saved us? Daniel, this soon-to-be prime minister, shows you can never be too busy to pray. Actually, when you're busy, it's more important to pray. Daniel doesn't just start praying, but he prays in day in, day out. And we want to cultivate that same rhythm. If you want to know how to pray, look at this. Morning, noon, and night. Starting the day on his knees, asking the God to speak. Read Bible One Year. It's a great app that can get you involved into reading a whole council of Scripture, a whole of Scripture, hearing from God and learning to pray. It's middle of the day to give thanks to God and at the end to give God glory, gratitude. Be like Daniel. And Daniel is consistently praying. Do you see his posture though? Look, what's his posture? He's on his knees. That's the way that Jesus prayed. Peter prayed. Paul prays. What posture is it? It's a posture of a beggar before the one who can offer help. And you and I can go to the God of heaven who longs to hear from us. But it's a posture that is opposed to pride. We've seen what happens to pride. On your knees is the sign of humility before the one who is in control. What a great lesson we could learn from that. So how do you live a life of consistent faithfulness that enables you to live with integrity and distinctiveness at work and at home? Know your identity in God. Cultivate a rhythm and a life of prayer. And then secondly, be unlike Darius. Don't do a Darius. Reject flattery and pride for what it is. So we looked at Daniel. Let's focus now on King Darius. What can we learn from him? So in verse 6, you see these administrators and satraps have come up with their cunning plan. They go to King Darius, live forever. And they say to him, further down, enforce the edict that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, throw them in the lines. What they're doing is they're not just saying it because they think King Darius is like that. They're using flattery and wooing to his pride of power and dominion to trip him up. And what does he do? He falls straight down their plan. Despite not wanting to do what he's going to do, he wants to make Daniel prime minister. He falls to this flattery and is wooed to a point he makes decisions he doesn't want to do. He's told, live forever. King, live forever. Everyone should pray to you. The advisors aren't doing it because they love King Darius. No, they're doing it because they're out of hatred and jealousy of Daniel. We need to watch out for undeserved praise, to not let it get to our heads. And that leads us astray. C.S. Lewis has got a great quote in this. Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And for you and I, if we saw pride for what it is, we would want to reject it, rip it out, and have it no part of us. 
is the utmost evil. Pride is the essence of sin itself. It's a man turned in on themselves, concerned with their own being. Anger, greed, drunkenness, all are flea bites in comparison to pride itself. And the devil uses pride to enable us to follow more of what he longs for than God wants himself. We've seen throughout Daniel, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. And King Nebuchadnezzar fell for it. Belshazzar fell for it. King Darius has fallen for it here. And so he puts this decree in writing that no one can pray to anyone but him. And this cunning plan works. Daniel is called out. And King Darius, this superficially, this most powerful ruler, is undone because of his pride. And this flattery that led to his pride, which led to his make decisions that he didn't want to do. He's controlled by officials. He's controlled by his own laws that stop him acting in his conscience. I wonder if we've ever had that. We've been flattered in a way that we've allowed pride to get in there, but we've done stuff that Paul would write in Romans. I do what I do not want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. Or is it just me? And so despite his effort, he's bound by his prideful decision. And he sort of prays and cries out to God in verse 16. May your God whom you serve continue rescue you. Do you see he's actually breaking his own decree? He doesn't get caught out for it. But his pride has led him astray. I wonder how does pride affect us? How does it affect you? You might not be throwing other people into the lion's den in doing so, but where does pride affect your walk with the Lord? Where does it affect your relationships? Because it will, and if you're not noticing it, we might need the Holy Spirit to point that out to us. We must reject pride for what it is, to get it out of our head, to reject it at the point that it won't take control over us. But lastly... We've got to trust in the sovereign saviour. You know, we've seen two characters. Daniel, this consistently faithful man, whose faithfulness and integrity started on his meal choices in Daniel chapter 1 as a teenager. Now as an 80-year-old, his faithfulness and integrity is a death sentence. We've seen King Darius, who is powerfully weak. And manipulated by his pride, taken in by flattery of others. The situation surely is hopeless. Lions. Daniel is thrown into lion's den. Where is the hope there? But the main character in this account isn't King Darius, isn't the officials, isn't even Daniel. It's God. And it speaks of God's sovereign saving power that we've seen throughout Daniel. What happened in the fiery furnace? There is a God who's able to deliver. And what happens here? God saves again. God has the power and is able to deliver you from facing any lines that you face. He's got the power to deliver you from facing any difficulties and pain. But he also is sovereign and may choose to deliver you in the place of pain. 
in the face of difficulty. And that can cause heartbreak. And God, in his kindness, may choose to take people to himself earlier than we would want. And that is God's prerogative. It's up to him. For some of us, we're facing horrendous diagnoses here. Others, there's redundancies. Others, there's hidden battles no one else knows about. Just our thoughts in the middle of the night. We need to trust in the sovereign saviour, knowing he is good and he works for the good for those who love him. But when the king calls out after a horrendous night's sleep and he calls out, what does Daniel answer? My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of a lion. Why? Verse 23, because he had trust in his God. And if you think there's some sort of conspiracy theory, like the lions weren't hungry that day, you know, been fed, you know they've been fed a lot, so they're not going to eat. Verse 24 really shuts that up. These people are crushed before they hit the ground. But Daniel does the opposite to any prideful leader. Prideful leader says, like Nebuchadnezzar, looking down, look what I have built for my glory. Here Daniel points to God. My God sent his angels. God saves people. God is sovereign. It's all about him. I love the book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren. But the first sentence says, it's not about you. For you and I, we've got to have our eyes on who God is and trusting him. Daniel points to this sovereign savior. But do you see the testimony? that King Darius now speaks. This one who's pushed down and made a decree that everyone should pray to him, what's his new decree? Verse 26, I make a decree that in all of my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. There's a testimony amidst this pressure because someone lived with consistent faithfulness. You have no idea the impact your faithfulness will have on those around you, those who even persecute you. So how does Daniel 6 like apply to us? Who is the hero? Who are we to be? You know, Daniel beat the lions, right? Because he prayed consistently. Are we to be like Daniel? Is that our role? We must not like be like the people who look at a school photo and look for ourselves when we look at the Bible. The hero isn't you or I. But hearing the story, does it speak of another man? Does it speak of a man who lived an innocent life with integrity? A man that there was some corrupt charges that leaders put to, to him to trip him up, realising they couldn't find grounds and in integrity. Does it speak of a man who was put before a leader who seemed all-powerful, yet went with the crowd? Pilate. As Jesus is brought, corrupt charges are put against him, yet he's innocent. And Pilate, who has all the power, goes with the crowd and says, okay, but it's not on me. 
just like Darius did there. What happens to Jesus? Condemned to death. Tomb rolled in place, sealed, proving death. Situation looks hopeless. But there is a God who saves. There is a God who is in control. Jesus prays before in the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't he? Not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus, his life of consistent faithfulness and integrity enables you and I to be saved. Why? Because he took the punishment we deserved on the cross. And that tomb, which was fixed in place a few days later, was rolled away. And what looked hopeless speaks of the greatest hope there is. That in Jesus Christ, there is a sovereign saviour who saves all who trust in him. But it's not matter what, who you are and what you've done, but it's trusting in his saving grace that you're saved. Daniel 6 doesn't speak and call us to be the hero. It foreshadows the greatest hero there is, that is Jesus. And so for you and I, when we look at this, yes, we're called to live a consistently faithful life. Yes, we're called to reject flattery and pride. But what our job is to trust in the sovereign saviour that is Jesus, who is able to save and is able to deliver and has done on that cross 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' name. Oh, man.